Blog Talk Radio. Don't Let It Go Unheard, and this is where we discuss news, politics, and culture from the perspective of Ayn Rand's philosophy. Ayn Rand's philosophy of objectivism uniquely upholds the right to the pursuit of your own happiness. I'm your host, Amy Peikoff, and here we are again on a Saturday night. I keep saying I hope that this is going to be the last Saturday night for a while, that I'm actually going to go back to the typical midday Friday slot, and I think I'm going to be doing that this next week. So um, I'm going to cross fingers and and hope that it works out. It didn't work out for me this week. I had grading and other uh, things that came up, and I couldn't do the show yesterday. So here I am on Saturday night. Also, I've got a bit of a different setup here. I'm using a different computer, and for some mysterious reason, Blog Talk is having me on the Direct Connect. So you guys here in the chat room, I see a bunch of people over in the chat room over at Blog Talk Radio. Can you let me know? what the sound is like. Is the sound okay? Uh, I see just Jean saying, is there sound? So I'm hoping that you're hearing me. Can you let me know? People are chatting there. They're talking about anonymous lurkers. Do let me know if you've got sound. Anybody? I'm not seeing anybody. I'm hoping I've got some sound here. Um, Let me go ahead and type. Okay, I'm asking to see if people can hear me. I know I'm connected. I heard blog talk through me. I heard the music. I'm not getting any response here. Oh, my gosh. Okay, people coming in and out of the chat room. Okay, Tim says, I've got sound. Okay, great. So somebody's got sound. And that means I'm probably at least being recorded. Hopefully everyone's going to be able to get it over here at Blog Talk Radio. Excellent. He says you're on live. Perfect. Perfect. Yeah, it's Direct Connect tonight. It is not Skype. I wasn't sure how it's going to work. And I've got a laptop working through Wi-Fi. So, again, I wasn't even sure how that was going to do. So, anyway, go to my blog, don'tletitgo.com. You can see if you've already checked out the program notes that I'm revisiting this topic, a culture of censorship. Again, I'm calling it a culture of censorship to Silicon Valley. And it's because of a couple of stories that have been circulating around this week. One of the stories, Facebook won't even let you post directly. It is about the European Union asking high-tech companies to enforce 
speech codes. And then there was another story about Google manipulating search data for Hillary Clinton. So those are the two main stories that have inspired the topic. But as you see, if you go to the program notes, there's a number of stories that are actually related to this idea of a culture of censorship. And to remind you, right, if if you think about censorship, properly speaking, censorship is something that government does. Censorship is government preventing people from speaking, from using their resources to communicate their ideas. Um, You wouldn't think necessarily that private companies are guilty of censorship, but something that I talked about in the first show that I titled A Culture of Censorship was that you can have private institutions or quasi-private institutions like universities, for example, who aren't particularly engaging in censorship, right, because they're not government entities per se, but they themselves are contributing to a culture that doesn't value free speech and, in fact, a culture that values restricting speech in the name of not offending people, for example. So that is the sort of thing that I'm talking about. And Steve Simpson of the Ayn Rand Institute has kind of a similar theme that he's been talking about. He has a talk that he's been going around and giving. uh, And I believe the title is something like, Is the First Amendment Enough? And the message is, no, the First Amendment is not enough, that in fact, we need our culture to uphold the value of freedom of expression. Otherwise, the First Amendment and the way that the law interprets First Amendment protections is never going to be enough to truly protect freedom of expression as necessary to uphold a free society. So. Um, that's that's kind of the, the theme that we have here. And, uh, you know, a lot of people are starting to get worried, in particular when you talk about Google and you talk about the leading social media outlets who are perhaps restricting expression and restricting the exposure for content out on the Internet that this is really, really concerning. And it's particularly concerning if it's being done at the behest of government. And that's the sort of thing that we're talking about. If you want to call in and discuss any of this this evening, the number to do so is 760-888-5817. Again, that's 760-888-5817. And if you do want to talk, what you need to do is press 1 so that the little question icon will come up here in my Blog Talk Radio studio, and I can see that you want to chat with me. Um, okay, so I think people in the chat room are back, that they're all getting sound, and that, that's good to hear. I don't think that the things that you're experiencing on your end are anything having to do with, with my setup, but Blog Talk might be having other you know, technical glitches beyond the, um, the Skype issue that it told me we were going to have. But I'm glad this Direct Connect is working. It should be really high-quality sound. At least it was last time that I checked, but it was not reliable. So tell me if it's dropping in and out or things like that. If this Direct Connect is going to end up being reliable, I will come back and use it all the time because I remember the sound quality being super, super good. So as I said, go to don'tletitgo.com. That's where all the program notes are. And the first story that I have over there 
is actually a video. It's a video entitled, Did Google Manipulate the Search for Hillary? And I'm actually forgetting the name of the organization that put it out. I'm going to get that for you in just a second here by checking out the follow-up story. There's a follow-up story on this from the Washington Times in which the Google, you know, the Google, Google denies manipulating the search terms at all. But it turns out that there is a company uh, or an organization called SourceFed, a news and pop culture website that put together this video explaining how they tested certain search terms. And you know how it is when you are entering something into a search engine box? You enter in a a few letters and it already starts to suggest a completion for you, right? So what they were looking at, for example, was it would say Hillary Clinton and then IND. And IND are the first three letters of the word indictment, right? And so what this source fed, you know, what they, what they found is that if you went to Bing or if you went to Yahoo and you put Hillary Clinton, IND, then I think the first thing that would come up or one of the first is indictment, right? It would be right there. And it's because why people want to know if Hillary Clinton is going to be indicted and therefore isn't going to be able to be president, right? Um, she's racing against the clock right now. And, you know, I think she's counting on everything being really slow. And so then she's going to get into office, I guess, and pardon herself. I have no idea. Anyway, so people want to know about this, right? So you go to Bing, you go to Yahoo, you put in Hillary Clinton, IND, and it comes up with indictment. But if you went to Google, it would say Hillary Clinton, India, that would be the first thing that is suggested as a completion, or it would be Hillary Clinton, um, independent, or Indiana, right? Other things with IND, but not indictment. And then they were saying, okay, well, what if you go into, and I can't remember the feature of Google that gives this to you, but Google has a feature in which they'll tell you the prevalence of certain types of search terms. And I I remember playing with this feature, but I still can't remember the name of it because you can decide to purchase advertising. And if you do purchase advertising, you would like to hitch your advertising onto something that's commonly searched for, right? So they have all of these uh, beautiful tools that they can show you. So that what they do is they went in there and they said, okay, well, maybe Google users who are typing in Hillary Clinton, IND, they're not interested in indictment. They're interested in Hillary Clinton going to India or Hillary Clinton going to Indiana or Hillary Clinton being independent somehow. Haha. Um, but the idea is, oh, maybe Google people are different than Yahoo people, different from Bing people, whatever. But no, when they went in there and they looked at the statistics, sure enough, indictment was a much more prevalent search even among Google users, right? So the point is you couldn't really explain why that wouldn't show up as the auto-completion that was suggested, right? And so they're saying that Google was manipulating 
the top autocomplete things that you would get when you put in Hillary Clinton's name. And then, for example, if you went and put in Bernie Sanders or you put in Donald Trump and you put some sort of unflattering thing like Donald Trump racist, that that would come up right away. R-A-C, and then you know, suddenly you have Donald Trump racist. Um, if you have Bernie Sanders socialist that, you know, you just type in a few letters and that would start to come up right away. This autocomplete feature doesn't show the bias in Google when you're looking at Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders than it seemed to be showing for Hillary Clinton. And that's what they observed. Now, they qualified it to death and they said, oh, it doesn't really mean anything. And, of course, they're not doing anything illegal because Google's a private company. And, you know, yeah, there are these kind of strange connections between the Hillary Clinton campaign and Google or, you know, this one knows that one. It's like the six degrees of separation or whatever, but there's only two degrees and, the, you know, they're saying, but, you know, still maybe there's nothing going on, but we just want to point this out. And it is very, very disturbing. So then what happens? What happens is Google publishes a denial about this, right? Um, they deny manipulating the search engine to hide these unflattering posts about Hillary Clinton. And this is a Washington Times article that was just published yesterday. It says Google denied on Friday, allegations that it manipulated the algorithm to bury stories unflattering to Hillary Clinton. Quote from a Google spokesperson in an email to Washington Times, Google autocomplete does not favor any candidate or cause. And this is again also quoting from the spokesperson. It says, claims to the contrary simply misunderstand how autocomplete works. It says, our autocomplete algorithm will not show a predicted query that is offensive or disparaging when displayed in conjunction with a person's name. More generally, our autocomplete predictions are produced based on a number of factors, including the popularity of search terms, end quote, said the statement. So what is the message? The message is that Google which you know gives you the impression that it's giving you autocomplete based on popularity is also factoring in what it Google considers offensive. And apparently, if you're searching for Donald Trump racist, that's not offensive to Google. If you're searching for even Bernie Sanders socialist, that's not offensive to Google. But if you are searching for Hillary Clinton crimes or Hillary Clinton indictment, these things are offensive, and so that's not going to be auto-completed for you. I don't know how many of you have played on Twitter very much, but I have, for example, you know, when there were all these Republican debates and stuff, go out and live tweet the debate. And I'm not always good with this because I'm filling up my 140 characters with content, but what you can do if you don't fill up your 140 characters is you can put some sort of a tag like GOP debate or, you know, something else. And, and, you know, depending on what's going on on Twitter, there are various tags that are hot and maybe you want to, you know, contribute to the discussion that's going on in that tag. And I have noticed on Twitter that, you know, GOP debate or different types of things like that that have to do with more conservative or non-liberal hashtags that the autocomplete that is suggested to me by Twitter 
is often incorrect. It's not the right one that you have to actually make sure that the one that it's suggesting as an autocomplete for you is the right one. Otherwise, you're going to be tweeting out into obscurity. You're not going to be contributing to the thread that you think you're contributing to. And I swear, the way that that has happened to me on Twitter, I believe it is purposeful. Has anybody else had that experience? That's what I want to know. Uh, John Roberts in the chat room says, I just got autocomplete turned off. Um, Now, when you're typing into the Google search box, it's not that it's like, you know, autocomplete I've had, for example, actually today I was trying to put a hat tip to Joseph Keller, who sent me an article on this free speech topic. And so I go ahead and I post it on my blog and I find out later that because his name is spelled K-E-L-L-A-R-D, Kellard. And I posted it and then I went back and looked at it. It said Joseph Collard, like Collard Greens. And so that had been what the, you know, autocorrect had mangled his name as, as Collard. Uh, but that is a feature within your computer or device, right? That's your autocorrect. And sometimes it's very helpful. So, for example, you know, I, I use the terms revulsifying and disgustipating, which I learned from my mother. I love using those depending on the news story. It's, it's perfect, right? And I've used them so frequently that my phone has learned how to spell revulsifying and disgustipating and actually suggests it to me. Uh, it's great when your phone actually learns your vocabulary and learns how to spell your vocabulary, but you do have to be careful with that kind of stuff. But that's your device, right? And then there's a separate thing that goes on when you're in don't, – don't I, I sound all tech, right? I sound, I sound so sophisticated. I, I consider myself kind of a level one tech support kind of person, very basic. But I, I can navigate my way through stuff, right? So the thing that goes on in Google is different. I don't think you can turn off Google autocorrect, can you? Or autocomplete. I don't know that you can actually turn that off. Obviously, you have the option of never taking – any of their suggestions, but for people who are lazy and who are just looking for sort of the top Hillary Clinton search terms or whatever, then they're not ever going to get to Hillary Clinton indictment because they're going to see Hillary Clinton's visit to India or Indiana or whatever. So it's, it's pretty ridiculous. So um, I remember, you know, looking around on Facebook and people saying, okay, uh, they believed that the Google allegations have been answered. But I think that this statement from Google, again, sent to the Washington Times yesterday, that it basically says, yeah, look, we do, in effect, control the content out there. We edit. We curate. You know, you wouldn't necessarily call it censorship, because it is Google, it's not a government entity, but they are curating what you're seeing in that autocomplete feature. And to me, this is a very, very bad sign, right? Because again, while it's a private entity, it is a search engine that many people rely on that they think is a good indicator of those things that are popular out there in the culture that are trending And when Google is manipulating what is trending in order to avoid being offensive to their particular ideology, this is scary stuff. And indeed, that seems to be what Google is doing. They seem to be admitting it here. They say, again, I'm I'm quoting from the Google spokesperson that wrote to the Washington Times. They're saying, 
Our autocomplete predictions are produced based on a number of factors, including the popularity of search terms, including the popularity. And again, they say explicitly that the autocomplete algorithm algorithm will not show a predicted query that is offensive or disparaging. And think about it. You know, Hillary Clinton, we know from her past track record that she puts pressure on private entities to not disparage her more than other candidates that I've seen. It, You know, Trump seems to be that way, too, also very prickly and wanting to go after people who disparage him. But Hillary, you know, there was, again, that, that comedy organization that had put a video out about her, and she was asking for the private contact information of the comedians who appeared in the video. She was telling the organization to take the video down. This is a comedy video commenting on Clinton's candidacy. And she already, as a candidate for president, is putting pressure on private organizations not to criticize her. It was really, really disgusting. So I have seen people out there on Facebook say that they've been satisfied with Google's explanation. I am not at all satisfied with Google's explanation. This, you know, this explanation by Google of what their autocomplete feature does is exactly the sort of thing that I am talking about under this banner of a culture of censorship, that Google is curating the content that you see in that autocomplete based not only on popularity, right, which is how useful. I mean, any average person that's up there typing in Hillary Clinton IND, it is a good chance that if they're typing in Hillary Clinton IND, that they want to see Hillary Clinton indictment. They want to know whether she's being indicted. But Google, at least at the time that these source-fed people were doing it, didn't show it. Um, I think that I saw, and I, I'm trying to remember one way or another, um, that they may have indeed fixed this or switched it back or something since people have been complaining about it, but I can't actually remember. Um, Tim Peck in the chat room has just put up a link from Daily Caller saying that Julian Assange is accusing Google of being in bed with Hillary's campaign. So that might be worth checking out. Again, that's from the dailycaller.com. It looks like a an article that was posted on the 9th of June, just a couple days ago. So check that out. But again, I've got a couple things over at my blog at don'tletitgo.com. One of them is the original video from SourceFed. And then the one after it, the link after it, is this Washington Times response that I was looking at there. I do have... Someone calling in. I'm going to go ahead and grab. Hi, hi you're on the air. Who's this? Oh, hi, Harold. How are you? Good. I, I had some trouble getting into your show today. Um, I posted a link to Don't Let It Go under today's comments, and that's a live link. You click on that, and it's less than three seconds behind the, the phone feed. So it's like real live and good, and it works on anything. So I, I posted it there. You mean it's a link where people can actually just listen to the show from my blog? Live, yes, now. And I put it in there. So if you can just put that up in your comments section now, then the people, because I'm not uh, signed into your comments, but if somebody goes and looks at it and then just repost it to your comments section, you can test it first before you do that. you see it works okay. fine. 
So I don't know what they've done, but it won't work in Firefox anymore. Just broken. So no, no clue. You know what? The um, funny thing is, though, I'm I'm connected to the studio and everything with Firefox. Yeah. For whatever that's worth. Now Firefox, I did have to update Firefox, so that could be something that's going I'm on. I'm on the latest. I'm on 37. That's the latest and greatest. I, I don't know what number I'm on. I just know I updated today. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I I thought of something last. Or I, whenever I called in last, there was something I meant to bring up. I've this will go viral once people hear it. Um, I've thought of thought of a perfect line for Donald. You know, we basically we have a race between mine Hillary and mine Trump. And so I think mine Trump is going to catch on. Nobody's heard it. No one's thought of it. But now that they hear it, it's very catchy. Mine Trump. I get, okay. a laugh, I get a laugh from everyone who hears it. If he ever wrote a political manifesto, you know, saying that Mexicans should go home, then that would be mine Trump. You know, you could even have right. a picture of him on the front of it. Oh, my gosh. So I haven't, I haven't that's, even that's tried a good to spread one. That's that. That's a good one. I haven't tried to spread it, but uh, I think just a couple of people, it's so it's so good that it'll go. Um, Scott Adams, you know, the Dilbert guy, yes. uh, said that he's endorsing Hillary, not because he agrees with anything, but because he's afraid she'll kill him if he doesn't. Yeah. Oh, my God. So, so oh, he's this less is afraid so of Donald. He's afraid of the Hillary supporters, you know, how, how toxic they are. And I mean, she is dangerous, but I don't think that dangerous, you know. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you go back into the Vince Foster and all that kind of stuff, right? Oh yeah, yeah, and and yeah, what she did against, um, yeah, there's, there's a couple of incidences that I actually believe. Uh, by the way, Donald Trump on his whole immigration, anti-immigration thing, there's mm-hmm. a really easy solution to that. Let in as many unskilled workers as as need be. But balance it out with skilled people from Eastern Europe, from India, you know, balance the whole thing out. It works. I would like to see the United States be the most populous country in the world, most high tech, most economically strong, militarily strong, with more people than any other big country in the world. And there's no reason why we can't be there. People who are talented and hardworking, bring them in. Right. Yeah, let them come. And why? I mean, the way I see Donald and Hillary, it's. What they want control of information, control of the flow of people, um, and uh, labor and um, finances, everything under control. I mean, how can a Politburo in Washington, D.C. control the lives of 330 million people? Some small-town mayor cannot even attend to the needs of his own citizens. So how, could, how could that even be? Anyway, I'm changing the subject of your show. Sorry. <laughs> no worries, but, you know, it is true that both of these candidates are enemies of freedom of expression and it is really scary if we had the tech companies fighting this trend then at least we'd have them on our side i mean you know right now i can say okay we have apple fighting the fbi on mass warrantless surveillance yeah did you see what happened you see the feinstein bill died uh, so the Feinstein bill is the which which Dead. one? The one the one that wanted intrusion into our devices. Oh, that the one, one that dead. was gonna it was gonna require the back door. Yeah, it's completely right. dead and going nowhere and not going to see the light of day, which is great. Beautiful. This is beautiful. Yeah, yeah it couldn't. Yeah. Couldn't by happen. the way, so hold hold your nose and vote for Gary Johnson. <laughs> 
that's about what I'm going to do. I'm thinking that's really what I'm thinking. Um, and no, you I know, wish- if I vote, I, I do, I do want to go read though. The objective standard apparently has some sort of blog out there about the voting strategy stuff. And I, I would yeah. like to see what Craig Biddle has to say about this we, issue. Yeah. But, we yeah. need to take, we need to take the electoral college away. And the only way to do that is Colorado uh, New Mexico and a couple of others, and that should be enough to deny the 270 to either, and then it goes to the House and Senate. That That's the only practical thing that's in our power right now to do. Yeah. I would love it, And though. Gary Johnson is, is so tentative. He's almost apologizing for breathing. Every time he breathes, he's, oh, I'm sorry I breathed, you know, too loudly. Or, I, I, I mean, a guy like that is just such a non-leader, you know. It's just... You know, you I saw I saw a little clip. I do. saw a little clip of um, of Johnson with Weld on Colbert, and Weld seems like a stronger type than Johnson. And Weld had the good line, basically saying that you'd have freedom for your pocketbook and in the bedroom. And this is something, of course, that's a very attractive way to describe either you know libertarians yeah. or objectivists, right? You know, we we talk about that, you know, are you going to be free from nine to five and then, you know, like regulated on evenings and weekends? Are you going to be free on evenings and weekends? The liberal conservative dichotomy. Yeah, right, right, right. And and how we reject it, we say, you know, all freedom all the time, 24 hours a day. And that's how well, you know, was describing their position as well. But Johnson's not nearly as clever and strong no, I loved I liked I liked Harry there was a guy before Johnson a couple of years decades back uh, Harry Brown he was really great but uh, he was also very quiet you know very mild-mannered person but he was much stronger than Gary Johnson and there's no one like him right now Johnson uh, had one good line though because he was saying you know that Donald Trump has been accusing the Johnson Weld ticket of being fringe and I think Johnson is right in that this idea of having freedom across the board is very, very popular with people. Such that most with, of I'm, you, I'm getting feed, I'm getting feedback from students who are who are basically telling me that they they're not Bernie Sanders, they they're Gary Johnson supporters. These are the young kids who are going for Gary Johnson. I don't know if it's what the reason is, but there's quite a lot of support for him. That's beautiful. Yeah, he was saying he was saying we're fringe only if the majority of Americans are fringe, in effect, because the majority of Americans well, if, want their freedom. Yeah, if loving freedom is fringe, sign me up. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're right there. Well, All thank right. you, Harold. Yeah, okay. it's, it's you know again, it's too bad that our our guy Cruz was out, but um, in lieu of that, yeah, I, I you uh, know at Cruz, least I can vote for Cruz Johnson gonna... without. Cruz is, going to, he's, Cruz is going to run for the Senate in 2018. He'll be much stronger in 2018, and then he'll get ready for 2020. I think he has a great data set, except he didn't go to the end. I wished he had finished and collected more data on what, but I think they have a big enough data set to analyze and figure what went on and recalibrate for 2020. And I think and he's let's just hope that they don't have any blinders on, right? Because I swear that I believe part of their data set must include the fact that, uh, you know, trying to appeal to evangelicals is a non-starter that they need to drop that whole appeal to the religious right and just focus on individual rights. It'll be in the data set. Yeah, I think it should be. So they, and, and will they, they pay and attention they, to it? You know, 
Cruz Cruz is a good analyst. I mean, he's got a brain and he uses it. And I, I think he he's ambitious enough that he will pay attention to all the details. Well, I hope you're right, Harold. Thanks very much for calling okay, in. Thanks for your time. And we'll talk we'll talk again soon. Okay, again, if you want to chat with me, 760-888-5817 is the number. And if you do want to talk, go ahead and hit one in the questions box. I'm clicking back and forth here between the chat room and the, you know, the call-in queue at the studio. So I will, I will get to you. Um, yeah, Nanali in the chat room. Uh, welcome. I haven't seen you here in the chat room before. Says he's a smart dude. Cruz is. Yeah, definitely smart. But he also describes himself as fervently religious personally. And would he, for example, say, okay, well, no, I still feel like I want to appeal to the evangelicals and push those religious so-called social issues of gay marriage and everything else. I really hope that he would move away from that next time and realize that it didn't do him any good. If anything, the evangelicals were going for Trump more, which is ridiculous because, you know, again, he's not really anti-abortion or anything else. So, again, go to don'tletitgo.com. We're just talking about the Google issue. I myself am not convinced that Google is innocent in this. And, in fact, their statement to the Washington Times seems to show that they are contributing to this culture of censorship, as I'm calling it. And they're doing that by manipulating the autocomplete feature to exclude anything that is considered, quote, offensive to them. Bernie Sanders socialist, apparently not offensive. Uh, Donald Trump racist, apparently not offensive. But Hillary Clinton indictment, wow, that's offensive. Autocomplete wasn't doing that. So another very disturbing trend is what's coming down at the EU. And the article that Facebook apparently will not allow you to share directly is from Gatestone Institute. And the headline is, the EU is coming to close down your free speech, written by Douglas Murray, published today at 5 a.m. And there are some bullet points at the top that, they talk about the fact that uh, Chancellor Merkel of Germany has been putting pressure on Facebook to somehow figure out how to restrict on Facebook the ability to criticize Muslim immigration in Europe. Because you know that Muslim immigration has been a big problem, uh, you know, for Merkel politically, but you know, I'm going to say screw that um, Saturday night. Uh, you know, it's it's a big problem for safety of German citizens. And then, of course, therefore results in big problems for Merkel politically. But she wanted them to somehow restrict the ability of people not, you know, to restrict the ability of people to criticize her immigration policy. And there was this open mic she was speaking to Zuckerberg. She didn't know the mic was on, that it was picking her up. And she asked Zuckerberg what could be done to restrict people writing things about this migration policy that she has. She says, are you working on this? And he replied, yes. Uh, in the month that followed, writes Murray, 
We learned this was not idle chatter over lunch. In January of this year, Facebook launched its, quote, Initiative for Civil Courage Online, which is committing a million euros to fund NGOs in the work to counter, quote, racist and xenophobic posts online. Also, Facebook promised to remove, quote, hate speech and expressions of, quote, xenophobia from the Facebook website. Now, how do you decide, you know, what is racism, what is xenophobia, what is hate speech? Um, You know, why wouldn't you go ahead and consider other extreme views in figuring out what you're going to censor? But the problem really is, and, and the, you know, the way that this particular blog post puts it is that really you should not enforce one standard for everybody because each country is different and it might be appropriate to enforce the standard here. Of course, the, the, the proper answer is not to say, you know, enforce policies from one country onto another country. You should have the same policy everywhere, but the policy should be equally open everywhere. There should not be, if you actually truly believe in uh, you know, a so-called marketplace of ideas, if you want to actually believe in open and free exchange of ideas online, which you know, Zuckerberg has described as a value, then you would not you know, restrict ideas, quote, you know, because they're offensive or any other thing. What you need to do is only, for example, restrict if you have incitement to violence and and other things. Um, This particular article, like I said, the Murray article, I don't know that, I mean, you know, he warns of the danger. He warns of the danger that you have social media outlets at the behest of government restricting content in their platforms, right? And this, this is extremely disturbing. They're doing it on the basis of, you know, people being offended or people being, you know, it's hate speech, xenophobia and all these things that they say, okay, those are horrible, but this is not anything that they should be doing. They certainly shouldn't be doing it at the behest of government. At the same time, when Murray talks about, well, you know, don't enforce standards from one country onto another country. No, no, no. The standards for all human beings should be the same People should be able to express ideas freely so long as they are not inciting violence or doing other things like libel, slander, um, doing a, uh, an actual invasion of privacy that is uh, restricted, et cetera. So there, there's not a principled understanding of what these outlets should be doing, I, I believe, on that Gatestone article. A, a better written article, I think, about this is from Daniel Greenfield, and I thank uh, Bosch for sending this along. It's all your social media belong to the EU. That's Daniel's headline. He is so clever. I really like Daniel Greenfield over at Front Page Magazine. Excellent writer. So he is talking about this same issue, um, and he's talking about different tech companies. He's talking about Google. Um, Someone in Google has decided early on, they said that the search traffic should be driven to pro-EU sites. So he's giving that as an example. Um, A Facebook account uh, was deleted because a columnist had criticized migrant violence uh, from Gatestone and had her account deleted. And he says there's a larger pattern, observes 
Greenfield at Facebook, Google, Microsoft, and Twitter. And they all helped create and sign a code of conduct banning hate speech. Um, Twitter has a trust and safety council, he says, filled with extremist left-wing groups like Feminist Frequency to censor the politically incorrect. Uh, He says Google had historically been a pro-free speech outlier. Um, But now, he says, the code of conduct goes well beyond censorship. It says the companies will be working to strengthen their, quote, ongoing partnerships with civil society organizations who will help flag content that promotes incitement to violence and hateful conduct. And according to Greenfield, he says, this amounts to empowering left-wing advocacy groups to dictate content removal to major companies. He says it means that not only Twitter, but Facebook, Google, and Microsoft will get their own trust and safety council. He says it might be called something else. It may not even have a name, but it will have power. That's what this really means. And he says it's only a starting point in a larger propaganda initiative. So what are all these companies doing? These companies are all doing two things. One is they are working with these so-called CSOs, civil society organizations. Civil society organization is the new name for what they used to call non-governmental organizations. So these organizations are affirmatively going to go out there and post, you know, things counter to xenophobia. So it's going to be a positive, so-called positive. It's going to be full of garbage, but it's going to be, you know, a propaganda campaign. At the same time, these CSOs are going to help flag content that should be removed from Facebook and Twitter, you know, again, according to these very vague and non-objective guidelines, right, that have to do with not offending anybody. Um, so they're going to they're do that, they're, and, they, and they're all going to have their own sort of hate speech codes, um, And he says CSO stands for Civil Society Organization. It's used more often now that NGO carries with it an air of contempt. And he says the CSOs are going to have demands, and the European Commission is going to help leverage and assemble these demands. Meanwhile, he says the major tech firms will be working to aid the CSOs in pushing their agenda. And he says we got a preview of what this is going to look like with Facebook's Initiative for Civil Courage online. Facebook had been facing pressure from Germany's Merkel, who was worried over public outrage at crimes committed by her Muslim migrant arrivals. Censorship was obviously the order of the day. The initiative, they said, promoted Click It Out, which in properly Orwellian fashion urged people to, quote, see it and report it, the it being social media discrimination. What were users expected to do? Click it out. He says it was a failure, but Facebook and friends are now doubling down. Um, What they're trying to do is they're trying to create, quote, counter narratives. Why, says Greenfield? Because it's cheaper to throw some money at an NGO or a CSO or to boost their profile than to invest still more money in censorship. Um, And then he says the goal of companies like Facebook, of course, is to increase usage rather than reduce it. So, This is why they're talking about what they call, quote, like attacks. COO of Facebook, Sheryl Sandberg, has championed these, quote, like attacks. What do the users do? They flood the pages of the so-called bigots with their own 
speech. But what they want to do is they're going to, you know, push that agenda and at the same time impose the culture of censorship within Facebook and everything else. Um, he says, uh, he says some fraction of these efforts may actually be directed at ISIS supporters and actual people who are inciting violence. He says, but there's no particular reason to be optimistic about that. He says, by putting CSOs, these, um, you know, again, what, what's the acronym again? Uh, oh, why did I miss it? Civil Society Organization. I always think of Community Service Officer, which is what we had at uh, UCLA when I was there. Yeah, so Civil Society Organizations. Put them first. He says the message is that it isn't about counterterrorism, but a pro- about promoting one set of political agendas at the expense of another. Um, and he says the European governments are far less worried about, for instance, um, you know, terrorists, he says, than they are about domestic political dissent. When Merkel berated Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg over insufficient censorship, it wasn't because she objected to the pipeline that feeds Muslims from Germany into ISIS. Muslim terrorism for her, he says, is inconvenient, but political dissent is politically explosive. So they want to go ahead and silence this. Um, He says private companies have the right to determine what content appears on their platforms, right? And this is right. This is, you know, not necessarily censorship, he says, but Facebook, Google, and Microsoft and Twitter have become part of an alliance with governments and advocacy groups to maintain a particular narrative. He says they will not simply be removing hateful content. Instead, they have undertaken to play a role in putting forward a particular set of ideas by particular governments. He says that's propaganda. It is the opposite of how the Internet was meant to be used. So now private organizations backed by EU government power are going to be in charge of determining the content of social media, both positive and negative. And he says social media were meant to be centered around the user. Instead, this deal displaces the user and replaces him or her with the EU. So two things here. I mean, obviously, in terms of culture of censorship, even if the EU wasn't involved in putting pressure on this, it would nonetheless be feeding into this idea that it is correct to restrict expression, to avoid offending people. And even if it was entirely private, this is something that would be very dangerous in a free society if it is prevalent in any way. Yes, you have a, quote, right to do it, but insofar as the major tech companies, and again, they're talking about Facebook, Google, Google, Twitter, and Microsoft. If all of these companies are on board doing this, it is really scary for the value. Um, okay, so uh, I guess people are here in the uh, the chat room typing some messages here and there. Yeah, so we are on for about another 45 minutes, somebody asks in here. If you do want to call in, 760-888-5817 is the number, and you can go ahead and hit the one. But yeah, so so even if it was just the private organizations doing this on their own, it would be disturbing, especially if you have a, you know, what what you would call like a consensus. Say, um, I'm not I'm not thinking of the word at this hour, for example, but um, you know, if you if you've got a, a 
Oh, I can't even think of the phrase right now. I'm so sorry. There's a phrase on the tip of my tongue. But if you have a whole bunch of them together and it's basically like a quorum of these companies and they are all, you know, doing the trust and safety council or whatever that Twitter's got and they're they're all copying that idea and removing offensive speech or shadow banning or doing whatever they're doing, then you're not communicating what you think you're doing and they're just playing into the idea of a government that censors even though it's not technically censorship but here is greenfield and the gatestone institute telling us though no it's not just the private companies acting on their own it is the private companies working in concert with government and in particular here the eu but i'm also concerned that Facebook is facing pressure from our government, from the United States government. Why? Because, you know, for one thing, they have that consent decree about their privacy policy that puts pressure on them. So um, it's a very, very disturbing development. And the fact that Facebook, I guess Facebook doesn't let anything from the Gatestone Institute be published online. But I think you know, go ahead and share that article from Greenfield because I don't think Greenfield has been banned from Facebook and it would be really good to continue to get the word out there. Nanali11 in the chat room says that the CIA is constantly monitoring YouTube. You know, I, I know people who have blogs and, you know, government agencies go and visit the blogs all the time. I think my own blog at don'tletitgo.com has sometimes been visited by government agencies. One thing that's actually funny, my blog is now routinely visited by school districts because I have one uh, you know, post, and I don't know if this is exactly the title, but it shows up this way in the URL, Obama's speech, more altruism. But I know that there's more to the actual headline of it than that. But what I did is I analyzed a speech of Obama and talked about all the logical fallacies that are in there. And this has somehow shown up in some teaching materials. And people from all over the country, and I think even around the world, end up through, I guess, search terms at my blog, looking at this one blog post, Obama's speech, more altruism, and you know, looking at the way that I analyze the, the logical fallacies. So CIA constantly monitoring YouTube, I wouldn't doubt it. I mean, I think that Probably government agencies are going to be monitoring all of these social media outlets, and with good reason. I don't mind that the government is actually looking at what is being posted on social media. I actually wish that our government would just pay more attention to the things that are posted publicly on Twitter, on Facebook. I don't want them digging into private stuff without a warrant, right? But if people are sharing things publicly for everyone to see, and in particular on Twitter, they are, you know, putting threats and hits on people and all this stuff. ISIS is out there threatening people. Why isn't our government more on top of that kind of stuff as opposed to trying to dig into things that are, you know, private without a warrant? There's a whole lot of information that the government can get just by efficiently searching publicly available posts. Uh, Rob in the chat room, Rob Aviera says that he was able to post the Gatestone link on Facebook. Rob, are you talking about the link that you put on the Don't Let It Go on Her page? Because if you are, it just shows up as a blue clickable link, but you can't actually end up seeing the article itself. 
right? So there, since you don't actually see the article, it doesn't post like a standard Facebook post. The the article that I was telling you guys about earlier that Joseph Kellard sent me is from The Economist, and they too are concerned about free speech and the fact that this as a value is not being protected out there. In fact, it is under attack. There's a very disturbing picture, actually, that goes along with this uh, Economist article. I'll leave you to go ahead and click and, and see what it is. But let's just say that people who are familiar with piercings um, will know what this is. Okay, now it says, a problem has occurred with this webpage, so it has reloaded. I'm sitting here on my iPad for my articles. This is this is like the camping style show today. Yeah, so um, you know, in one sense, says this Economist article, and this Economist article is um, who is the the author? It actually doesn't say who the author is. Maybe it's from the editors there. It says, in a sense, it's, this is the golden age for free speech. Your smartphone can call up newspapers from the other side of the world in seconds. More than a billion tweets, Facebook posts, and blog updates are published every single day. Anyone with access to the Internet can be a publisher, and anyone who can reach Wikipedia enters a digital haven where America's First Amendment reigns. However, uh, watchdogs are now reporting that speaking out is becoming more dangerous, and as The Economist is reporting, they're saying that curbs on free speech have grown tighter. And without the contest of ideas, the world is timid and ignorant. Uh, How is free speech under attack? They say three ways. First, repression by governments. We all know about this. Soviet Union is a big example that they give here. Uh, China as well. And in some of the Middle Eastern countries, some of the actual governments are engaging in censorship. A lot of examples from Saudi Arabia against bloggers and such too. Second, non-state actors who are enforcing censorship by assassination. This is happening in some countries. Bloggers, um, I've heard stories of radio show hosts, right, uh, who get killed uh, as well. I think in in, uh, South America is where I've heard of this happening. Third, and this is the one that we've been talking about here tonight, says the idea has spread that people and groups have a right not to be offended. And they say this may sound innocuous because, of course, politeness is a virtue. But if I have a right not to be offended, that means someone must police what you say about me or about the things that I hold dear, such as my ethnic group, religion, or even political beliefs. Since offense is subjective, the power to police it is both vast and arbitrary. Nevertheless, they say many students in America and Europe, they believe that someone should exercise it. Some retreat into the absolutism of identity politics, arguing that men have no right to speak about feminism, nor whites to speak about slavery, etc. Some people block thoughtful, well-known speakers such as Condoleezza Rice and Ayaan Hirsi Ali from being heard on campus. Um, I'm hearing some some noise here. Sorry, outside my my little studio. Um, but the, he's, they say the threat of speech on Western campus is very different from that faced by atheists in Afghanistan or Democrats in China. But when progressive thinkers agree 
that offensive words should be censored, it helps authoritarian regimes to justify their own much harsher restrictions and intolerant religious groups their violence. When human rights campaigners object to what is happening under oppressive regimes, despots can point out that liberal democracies such as France and Spain also criminalize those who, quote, glorify or defend terrorism, and that many Western countries make it a crime to insult a religion or incite racial hatred. Um, It says, opinion polls reveal that in many countries, support for free speech is lukewarm and conditional. Again, this is the, the culture of censorship they're describing here. Opinion polls, many countries, support for free speech is just lukewarm and it is conditional. Uh, you know, support for free speech with Donald Trump is conditional. He thinks that the people in Garland were wrong, right? That they should not have, quote, offended Muslims. Uh, continuing with the Economist article here, it says, if words are upsetting people would rather the government or some other authority make the speaker shut up. A group of Islamic countries are lobbying to make insulting religion a crime under international law. You've been hearing about, about this in the UN. It says they have every reason to expect that they will succeed. Um, so, says the economist, it is worth spelling out why the freedom of expression is the bedrock of all liberties. Uh, they say free speech is the best defense against bad government. Politicians who err, that is all of them, should be subjected to unfettered criticism. Those who hear it may respond to it. Those who silence it may never find out how their policies misfired. As Amartya Sen, a Nobel laureate, has pointed out, no democracy with a free press ever endured famine. Um, now, at, at, you know, at a very basic level, free speech is necessary for three, free thought, right? And I'm, I'm, you know, going off of the economist here. This is not what the economist is saying. They're talking about, you know, the, the political value. Obviously, the political value there is crucial. But at the most basic level, if you cannot express your thought, you really can't in the end think. If you're not free to express, you're not free to think. And if you're not free to think, you're not free to take the actions that you need to support your life. That is how foundational free speech is. Um, they talk about the fact here that free speech should be protected as what they call a near absolute. Uh, what they and, and they seem to get it right, you know, in terms of the lines that you should draw. But I wouldn't put it in terms of a near absolute. You would say it is an absolute, but it is a principle. And you would understand, for example, that it is not freedom of expression to commit libel or slander. It is not freedom of expression to incite violence. Um, right? This is not part of the prin- excuse me, the principle of freedom of expression. That is not what free speech is about. So, um, Yes, it should be an absolute understanding freedom of expression as a principle. You cannot drunkenly post, as The Economist gives an example here, I wish all Jews were dead um, if you're actually in a place where you could incite people to violence. Now, if it's someplace obscure, they're saying, okay, maybe you can let it go. But, you know, if you say, you know, let's kill all the Jews to an angry mob outside a synagogue, then yes, um, you know, in a different context, maybe not. I I had a really good discussion with uh, Steve Simpson about this, you know, where context is important for incitement to violence and where do you actually draw the lines with all of this. But we all know incitement to violence is not 
part of freedom of expression. Uh, In terms of what should go on online, says The Economist, they say Facebook, Twitter, and other digital giants should, as private organizations, be free to decide what they allow to be published. By the same logic, they say a private university should be free, as far as the law is concerned, to enforce a speech code on its students, and then you go and do this. However, they say um, anything that's public should be able to, you know, you should be able to have complete freedom of expression. Um, and, and here's the thing, right? Okay, so they say, okay, if, if it's private, go ahead and do what you want and everything else. You know, again, there's the two concerns. One is if you have a quorum, you know, you have basically a, a critical mass is the phrase that I wanted earlier. If you have the critical mass of all of these tech companies, these social media companies, they are all enforcing this, you know, let's not offend anybody sort of speech code then you have a culture of censorship. And even if you technically on paper have the First Amendment, you have the right to free speech, how is that going to survive? How is that going to continue to be upheld in the courts when everyone in the culture is, you know, per the public opinion polls, expressing only lukewarm support? for freedom of expression. It is just not going to hold out. You are not going to continue to have robust First Amendment protections in a culture where the critical mass of all the social media companies and tech companies are enforcing anti-offense codes. Yeah. Nanali11 in the chat room is saying, is freedom of expression allowed by country burning a country flag? Um, you know, the, the burning of a flag, I, I would go ahead and my, myself allow it. Uh, I, don't, I don't really think that that's the, you know, the most important thing. Now, it could be in a certain context, if you're burning a flag, then that would actually be seen as an incitement to violence, right? So it, it really depends. Some of this is contextual. UK, it is illegal, he says. Um, there have been contentious opinions about that here. I believe that Scalia would say that you could, you should be able to go ahead and do it, but I, I have to go back and, and check with that again. You know, to me, you know, again, first of all, we need to be very principled in our legal holdings, but there's no way we're going to be principled in our legal holdings when we've got all of these leading social media companies willing to bow to the pressure from the politically correct. And that is what is going on. And in a very scary way, the government is increasing that pressure, increasing the persuasiveness of these so-called civil society organizations, NGOs, as they used to be called. Um, Very, very scary. Now, on the other side of the coin, I saw this interesting piece at the New York Times today. And again, thank you to those of you who support my show and help to pay for my New York Times subscription, among other things. Um, I'm sitting here on my iPad. I have to log in on my iPad with my little New York Times subscription as well. So um, this article is called Why I Quit Twitter and Left Behind 35,000 Followers, written by Jonathan, Jonathan Weissman. And he talks about the fact that on Twitter, he started being targeted for being Jewish, right? Um, He was just bombarded with all sorts of images of Jews being sent to gas chambers, 
um, even some pornographic type images and stuff. And he decided to go ahead and, and quit, you know, and, and, you know, leave Twitter because of this. Why? Because Twitter, for all of its pretensions about getting rid of hate speech and stuff, couldn't bring itself to actually hold any of these people who were harassing him accountable for the anti, um, you know, the anti-Semitic content that they were sending him. He says, the beginning of my end with Twitter came with both a frowny face emoticon from Ari Isaac Bevacqua, one of the Times audience development experts, and a boilerplate email from Twitter. This is the email from Twitter, quote, we reviewed the account and content reported and are unable to take action given that we could not determine a clear violation of the Twitter rules. He says, for weeks I had been barraged on Twitter by rank anti-Semitic content comments Nazi iconography, iconography, thank you, of hook-nosed Jews stabbing lovely Christians in the back, the gates of Auschwitz, and trails of dollar bills leading to ovens. This was being sent to this guy. He says, it all started after I linked to an essay on my Twitter account by Robert Kagan, one that discussed the emergence of fascism in the United States. He says, at first, I let it flow, determined to preserve my Twitter timeline as a shrine to hate and incontrovertible evidence of rising anti-Semitism. But last week, he says, I had begun reporting the most egregiously abusive accounts to Twitter, and I'd received no response. And then he says, Miss Bivacqua had assembled the worst of the missives and images, forwarded them to Twitter, and requested action. On Monday night, she was informed that none would be forthcoming. The next morning, he says he logged on to see a new user calling him a kike, declaring that Jews should have their assets seized and hoping for a revival of the ovens. This is all being done to him on Twitter, right? He says he proclaimed on Twitter right then. He'd had enough. He says he proclaimed on Twitter that he'd be leaving it behind along with his 35,000 followers. He says the racist anti-Semites and broader world of so-called white nationalists protest that any move to censor their hate would be an assault on free speech orchestrated by Jewish overlords, of course, right, they say. He says, but that argument holds no water on Twitter, which is a private company, etc. Um, and, you know, all of this, he, he quotes from there, harassment, hateful content, harassment policy, you agree not to do this if you're on Twitter, and then he says, you know, it's not a close call. He says, when a user named Holo Lolocost tweets out beautiful women in Nazi uniforms, quote, honorary Aryan broadcast portraits of Adolf Hitler, Cato Mayor pursues his agenda under a Confederate flag, and then someone else who calls themselves NS Revolution, presumably for National Socialists, uses swastikas, logo, et cetera. Um, you know, but he's saying there's all this stuff here. And he says, you know, Twitter appears determined to ignore its own terms of service when it has to do with this. And he says when he announced Tuesday that he would leave Twitter, you know, he's going to leave it to the anti-Semites and the racists and all of these people. He says almost immediately he began receiving emailed notices informing him that many of the accounts had been suspended. So suddenly when he drew big attention to this, then suddenly Twitter took action, but only when he went really public with this. So what's the message here? Um, Twitter says that it has this policy that's anti-harassment, anti-hateful conduct, and you can read the policies at the linked 
article that I that I have there. Uh, but are they enforcing it with when it comes to anti-Semitism? Apparently not. Not unless you make a big stink, and that is a horrible double standard. You know. So again, it's one thing that private companies have the right to do this, but then on the other hand, when they're not even being consistent with their own declared policies, and then they seem to be favoring some causes over others. This is really, really, really troubling. Freedom Breeze in the chat room is asking about a different social media platform called MeWe. Is that what it's called? MeWe, a private social media platform. I've heard of it, I think. I don't know if I got an invite to it or not. I haven't gone on to it. But, uh, you know, whether it's worth getting out there and getting into a new one, one of the things that you like about Facebook is supposedly exposure to all these people. But if Facebook is doing their version of shadow banning like we've seen done on Twitter, what good is it, right? What good is it? Um, Flycatch in the chat room says, social media has turned into a sounding board for morons. Really, really sad. I've got a call here that I'm going to go ahead and grab. Hi, you're on the air. Who's this? Bosch. Hi, Bosch. How are you? Very good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm getting a little discouraged by all of these social media outlets kind of lining up behind the EU and Merkel. It's ugly. It's really, really ugly, and it is conspiratorial also. Yes. Definitely. And, you know, when Dan, when Dan brings up the fact that they have teamed up with uh, governments, you know, corrupt governments, you know, to, to, to do this, they're no longer, you know, independent uh, entities. I mean, they've, they've, they've also corrupted themselves and therefore us, you know, in their own way, because we're, you know, we're part of this. We make use of this. It's a, yeah. it's a great form. It's a great form. But here we are being uh, manipulated by them and by, and by governments. But anyway, in terms of, of, uh, the issue of of uh, censorship. I remember it was post 9/11. I guess I was, I was thinking about uh, the language that we're using, all the lies that we that were telling ourselves about Islam, and I, I came across all these uh, comments about about uh, governments you know, censoring and whatnot. And it was it was a director, Milos Forman. He's a great director who directed Wolf uh, of the Cougar's Nest and also Amadeus. He was from uh, communist Czech, Czech, Czechoslovakia, and he was talking about his upbringing there. And he was in an interview, and uh, a guy asked him about it. And he said something along these lines. He said, um, censorship itself, he goes, that's not the worst evil. He said, the worst evil is, and that's the product of censorship, is the self-censorship. Because right. that twists spines, because it twists spines, that destroys my character. Because I have to think something else and say something else. I have to always control myself. I am stopping being honest. I am becoming a hypocrite. And it goes, and that's what they wanted. They wanted everybody to feel guilty. You know, everybody, right. the innocent, the, the guilty. The, and I, I just, I remember that because it, 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 it's so true. And that's, that's the whole purpose here. That's the whole purpose of these censors. They want us to censor ourselves in the end. Because, you know, they, they can try to censor as much as they can legally, but they know that if they push these things and they push these things and there's total pregnancy that people will, a lot of people, more than they would, you know, then then would just stop talking about these things. That's why Islam right. is never talked about. That's why, I mean, very rarely in any honest way, um, governments, you know, criticism against government. I mean, who is the only politician in recent memory who mocks government, who criticized government, 
I mean, really, consistently. Ted Cruz. Of course. And before, of course. And before that, before that, Ronald Reagan. They mocked government. They knew it was not this great, great thing that everyone tries to make it. You know, that everyone watched them try to make it believe. I mean, Perry. It, it Perry good. had that great line too. Perry, when he was campaigning in the what was it, yeah, 2012. It was and he was saying he wanted the, the federal government to be yeah. as inconsequential in your life as possible. Yeah. It was great. That was someone who wrote it for him, and he said it well, you know. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, you know someone who wrote it for him. I'm, I'm saying he's not, he's not a sharp guy. I mean, he's not. But uh, right. I just – this whole idea is just the self-censorship. That is, to me, my fellow cartoonists, my fellow artists, you know, writers and whatnot in, in the industry – they never say anything honest about what's going on, about the threat that, that they were dealing with. Even Frank Miller, when, when he does um, Holy, Holy Terror, he will, he will come back and say, well, I don't know anything. I don't know squat about Islam. You know, he writes a comic book against Jihad and, and that deals with Islam and pretends that he can just walk away and say, well, I don't know anything about it. So it's just, it's just it's really bad. And this whole idea. People don't want to commit a, to saying anything in particular, right? No, no, well, 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 they don't write anything honest, anything true, anything right. that, that is truly controversial, I mean, truly controversial. So the, the, the idea of self-censorship, I think that's the bottom line. They want us to stop ourselves, and they want to pressure us by laws or by pressure or by political correctness in every single way. And the way you fight it, the only way you fight political correctness and all this censorship is just by telling the truth again and again and again and again. Until you know, people will listen, and the people will repeat the truth, and they will right. argue for it and fight for it. Right. So just this this whole idea—it's just—it's it's just so corrupt and so evil. And all of these people they are just gutless turds, every single last one of them, from Merkel to Sus to Zuckerberg to all these fools, try to control the truth. And yeah, and again, you know, if it was. If it was just, you know, one private social media outlet or another one, but when you have right. all of the biggies getting yeah. together, as I said, I couldn't think of the phrase earlier, a critical mass of them all yeah. deciding that they're going to basically, you know, censor, right, or, or you know, yeah. uh, ban offensive speech, then Oof. you have a culture of yeah. censorship, even if, even if you don't have censorship from government per se. But in, in these no, situations, these are, it looks like government is bringing its pressure to bear on these like, companies, which themselves are already predisposed to enforce this sort of speech code. And the, so it's, they're all it's anti-freedom. Scary. They're all anti-freedom. But, you know, you think about these social, you know, these social mediums. I mean, they're, they're supposed to be in open places to discuss ideas and throw – I mean, so what's the whole point, Zuckerberg? I mean, what's the whole point of your Facebook was right. it meant to be controlled or was it meant to, for individuals to go out there and express themselves, their ideas, their thoughts, their, their personal lives and whatnot. And, and then he is. Yeah. But I mean, freedom. you know what, the way, um, the way that Greenfield explains it makes a lot of sense, right? So it's that these CSOs, these civil society organizations or whatever, NGOs, that they are going to put out a whole lot of speech that promotes their point of view. Right. And so it's, it's going to be a combination of, you know, deleting some of the quote, really offensive stuff in their view, but dealing maybe with the less offensive stuff by promoting a whole bunch of their content. And, you know, again, right. all the idea that maybe Facebook and Google and all of these companies are, 
manipulating what is seen as quote trending on their sites, mm-hmm. which is that's mm-hmm. really disturbing as well. And which is true because they they tried to, to deny it, but they were caught. They actually did do it, and they did apologize. So they actually did do it. They did make false trending uh, stories that were you know putting leftist ideas and leftist uh, issues, but also the, sh- the the shadow banning of uh, Twitter. I'm shadow right. banned. I have uh, you know close to ten thousand followers now, and uh, a lot of people who follow me just don't see me on their threads. Because that is, that is really, really scary. So they, they, I guess they've decided that your content is offensive. Is that the... Yes. Yes. Yeah. And instead of just knocking me out and being upfront about it, they said, well, let's make it harder for his followers to follow him and to, and to, and to see his uh, tweets. But anyway, I just, wanted to, I just wanted to talk about the censorship issue on that angle, where it just really comes down to the self-censorship. That's the real evil of it all. That's the real bottom line because they want people to shut themselves down. Right. Right. I mean, now I mean, I've got I've got other I've got other examples of it in the program notes. I can just run through a couple of them quickly. Right. Uh, one is CNN apologized for using the word terrorists regarding mm. the Tel Aviv jihadist attack. So what they, they did for you for, yeah, they so, you know this this horrible atrocity in Tel Aviv this week when CNN reported it, they put the word terrorist or terrorism in quotes in the headline, and then they mm. never used the word terrorism throughout the article itself. And similarly, other news outlets have been refraining from even using the word terrorism. Now, Sick. properly, I, I, I really like the, the phraseology that Greenfield uses. Um, you can call it Muslim terrorism, you can call it jihadist terrorism, right? These are yeah. the appropriate phrases. But to not even use the word terrorism, these are, yeah. you know, private news agencies, supposedly. Yeah. And they don't even want to use the word terrorism. They apologize for it by putting you it think in about that also, quotes. But you think about you it think? also, because they mm-hmm. no, you think about this also. They understand mm-hmm. that it is synonymous now with Muslim terrorism, terrorism. So if you say right. terrorism, everyone's thinking as well, talking about Muslim terrorism. So therefore, let's not use that term because we are insulting Muslims. <laughs> because it, is, it has become synonymous with Muslim terrorism. Terrorism. Anyway, you said you had another yeah. story. Yeah, and then one other story is, and actually you had done the illustration for this one over right. at Front Page. And it was another Greenfield piece. What happened to one Air Force veteran threatened by ISIS? And it's the story of Ed Klein who I guess is being threatened by ISIS for the things that he writes. And the landlord is apparently kicking him out of his yeah. apartment building due to this. So even though he's you know, not a threat, even though the FBI said there is no danger when the landlord found out that Ed writes against Islam, he wants him out. Right. He wants him right. out. And, and yeah. again, insofar as private individuals start to condone shutting people down for the speech, you know, for their speech. And again, nothing that Ed Klein writes is an incitement, incitement to violence. I might disagree with Ed Klein on certain, you know, issues and things like that. I think probably he and I have different views on immigration. I haven't checked for a while, but that doesn't, that doesn't mean that he should be shut down, that he shouldn't be able to express his ideas because he is not, 
inciting violence himself. You know, no. he advocates certain policies or things like he's that. He's writing about those who incite violence and writing about those yes. who, you know, commit violence. Yes, yes. And so insofar as you believe that somebody like that should be hindered in their ability to express themselves, then you are part of this culture of censorship. And yes. again, a, cult, a culture that eschews censorship, that eschews so-called speech codes and speech restrictions and everything else. That's what we need in order to support a robust First Amendment that is necessary for freedom. No doubt about it. And we just need uh, truth tellers to come out again and again and again, and and prominent ones and individuals and blogs and everything. I mean, as you say, Mm -hmm. you know, there are blogs being watched. I've I've had my blog being watched by a number of uh, government agencies. You know, whether it's individuals, sometimes probably decent individuals who are working, you know, agencies come in there, but sometimes people who are, who are up to no good. Right. They want to see what, what I'm up to. Yeah. And, you know, I just, you, you just keep doing what you're doing until you're, until they come after you. And then, then, mm-hmm. then you have a whole different problem there. But exactly. just keep telling the truth. Right? That's really what it comes down to again and again and again. Because, I mean, until, you know, what the, what, you know, what's your alternative here? I mean, things are so bad, and we still have the freedom to say how bad they are. Yeah, we still have the freedom to do. Yeah, that. I mean, as, as you know, as Leonard Peikoff writes, insofar as there's any chance at all to turn things around, then you have to yeah. keep fighting for it. Yeah, you have to. Definitely. Thanks for calling in, Bosch. I'm going to go ahead and return because right. I've got only about ten minutes, and I've got a whole bunch of program notes. So, uh, thanks for calling in again. If you go to the blog at don'tletitgo.com, you'll see some of the other links that I've got there for you today. It's a couple of the things that towards the end I put there just for your amusement and edification to go watch. So you can watch them after the show is over or after you listen to the podcast if you're listening on the recorded podcast. Um, So again, like I said, the Ed Klein, uh, the piece about him, there is a piece that I put there about Gawker. Remember we talked about Gawker a couple weeks ago that Peter Thiel had been – you know, contributing millions in order to help sue Gawker for invasion of privacy against, um, what's his name, Hulk Hogan, right? Uh, Hulk Hogan was suing Gawker because they were, uh, I guess, publishing a sex tape or something like that. These are actual invasions of privacy. These are violations of rights. It is not a restriction of freedom of expression to enforce laws against invasions of privacy or uh, libel, slander, all of these things, right? So um, I'm perfectly happy to see Gawker go down in flames for improper conduct. Insofar as they are breaking legitimate laws, that is not an infringement on freedom of expression. So you can go ahead and check that out and cheer as many people are that Gawker is having to file for bankruptcy because they're not able to stay the sentence. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, I guess, made a whole lot of fool of herself this week by saying that the federal government and not Steve Jobs invented the iPhone. And as Rob Eviera commented about this, I guess she had to do that in order to help justify the FBI trying to unlock our iPhones. But, you know, again, I keep saying kudos to Apple for standing up against this government. Uh, Rob in the chat room says that Yaron Brook did a whole show on the iPhone story today. Well, that's, that's really funny. But, you know, this idea that government could invent anything 
It's ridiculous. Government doesn't invent. Government has guns. Government can only stop people from inventing things. Uh, so, you know, government doesn't invent, doesn't produce. All it does, it's supposed to just enforce the protection of rights, and that's it. Allow people to do these things. Uh, never take credit for inventing the Internet, inventing the iPhone. Um, yeah, definitely go check out your own Brooks show on this. I, I, I'll have to listen to it myself. I'm looking forward to that. A couple other stories. Uh, one from L.A. Times. Actually, they're both from the L.A. Times, but they're related. One of them says, if you have health insurance, you might want to pay cash. If you read that story, you will see that um, – sorry, I had some kind of little thing that went off here. Um, oh, I got a message that government didn't even invent guns, right? Yeah, that's right. Government didn't even invent the guns that it uses to enforce the laws. It's pretty funny. So um, – yeah, even if you have uh, health insurance, you might want to pay cash. And what the article talks about, the fact that if you go to a hospital, for example, and they do a slew of routine blood tests, it is often the case that they will bill the insurance company for many times the cash price that you would pay if you just paid cash. And often your share of what you're going to pay after the insurance company is billed will exceed what you would have been billed if you just paid cash. So look into these things, right? It might be the case that if you go to the hospital and you're having some sort of routine blood work, like vitamin D levels, that's the kind of stuff they were talking about, that you can pay out of pocket, say 15 bucks a piece for these tests. And what they'll try to bill the insurance company instead is 80 bucks a piece for these tests. And you would be much easier, faster, cheaper potentially for you to just pay cash for these services. Uh, a related story is this, that Governor Jerry Brown in California has signed a bill that could help, and the way the headline puts it is, could help immigrants get access to health insurance. What they mean is that it could help illegal immigrants get access to health insurance. Why are illegal immigrants getting access to government-mandated health insurance policies in the United States? I'll leave that to you to figure it out. But what's the effect going to be? The effect of giving, quote, access to more people to health, quote, insurance. We should put scare quotes around all these things, right? Because the stuff that they're selling right now is not insurance. It is no longer anything like insurance. It is prepaid price mandated health care and you may or may not ever get that care but you're paying for it you're paying huge amounts for it in advance you know it was funny one person wrote when I was posting this stuff out on social media they said well what you need to do is you need to when you go on your vacation every year you know you go on a vacation out of the country and you can get a lot of your health tests and all these things done out of the country you know just spend your money that way and it's a lot cheaper and the way it is now, health insurance, thanks to Obamacare, has become so expensive in the United States that for many people, like myself, your travel budget is eliminated by the need to pay hefty health insurance premiums every single month just to get decent insurance. And then you still, you know, like I had my surgery last year, I still had a pile of bills on top of my hefty insurance premiums. It is ridiculous what's going on so far. So, um don't even get me started on this, but yeah, this idea 
you know, just give more people access to insurance. That'll really help. Check out a couple videos at my blog at don'tletitgo.com that I've got posted there. One of them is from Reason, and uh, they're talking about, isn't it great that we now have a woman in charge of our, in effect, overbearing government? I think you'll enjoy that. And then another one that was shared by a Facebook friend is a kind of a parody, but it's really a template for every single TED talk you've ever seen. Um, you, you know, basically this is the guy who gives the tutorial on how to give a TED talk and it is a lot of fun. So if you want to have a little bit of fun after listening to this very depressing show about a culture of sensitive, go to don'tletitgo.com and watch a couple of those videos. I think you'll enjoy it. Thanks everyone. We're out of time. And next week, as I said, I am going to make every conceivable effort to switch back to the normal Friday slot. The normal Friday slot again is 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 p.m. Pacific. And I will see you virtually here in the chat room. Thanks everyone for joining in uh, then. So take care, have a good rest of your weekend and I'll talk to you later. Bye.